what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by the trusty co-host, the one, the only, the now fan of Zach Wilson, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you feeling this week, man? Doing well, doing well. Heating up. Had a good showing. Yes, they did. Heating up, just like the Jets here in the Northeast. Summer finally getting here, I think. Very nice. Yeah, it's uh finally like the heat's holding. You know, it's been going up and down, but now it's like sixties ish around me at least. So we get winter Um, and summer, so you just gotta get get fully into one of one of the other at this point. There's no no middle ground, no spring and fall anymore. Yeah, you know I do kind of miss spring and fall. Not gonna lie, but um the planet is getting warmer it seems, and uh, also colder at times so anyways why don't we uh move on to what we got this week because we got some got some albums we got a movie and then we're going to be talking about the movies for this year and uh we're going to start with a person dropping their first official album moray with street sermons uh dave you mentioned that you wanted to give this a listen it was a pretty tight 30-ish minute album thought there were some some good moments and some eh moments on it how are you feeling about street sermons yeah street sermons actually is being called his commercial mixtape his debut mixtape for murray uh on interscope after catching a big hit starting last fall with quicksand which i think is the anchor of most of his fans but he seems to have been attracting listens and streams to other songs since then so it seems to be a genuine build up here but yeah i mean i think when you see some bit of virality that seems to be sticking uh, it's always important to pay attention and i think in moray's case he's kind of interesting to me because there's a really obvious comparison in terms of modern people in hip-hop that'd be rod wave uh Mm. in terms of singing rappers but I actually like Murray, I think, a little bit more, you know, song to song anyway, because he seems to have a more like positive, like tinge to his sound. Like Rod Wave has only gotten sadder and sadder as he's released music. <laughs> and to his credit, it's working for him. But uh, Murray, you know, I, I don't know if it's just like that Fayetteville, North Carolina, like drawl he brings or the gospel inspirations you can pick up on here and there. But it seems to be a little bit more upbeat, even if it's not always like positive, you know, lyrical subject matter. But he he, he seems to me uh uh like a ha- like happier, even when it's not happy. If that makes sense, Rod Wave sometimes he's a downer, so it depends. <laughs> you got to be in the mood for him, I think. Yeah, you know, I am that like rapping singing that you mentioned. Certainly, um, hard to kind of think, move away from that comparison only because Rod Wave also, you know coming um or obviously more established than moray but um still in the early part of his career anyways i do think he's more upbeat but i also didn't find the music always super interesting i, I do feel like it kind of sounded samey at points um mm. but i do think there's a couple of standouts like early on you know uh, like trenches into quicksand obviously quicksand's a bona fide hit but um then i also think there's a couple of other uh like switched up Later on, I thought was a pretty decent track. Um, these are also the ones that are 
who most played on Spotify. So I think these are kind of the consensus ones as I'm looking through here that stood out to people. Any any of those tracks stood out or anything else that you really liked? Yeah, like I do like Trenches, and that's funny because he's yeah. like really singing on that. Like, you know, sometimes when we talk about this all the time now, like melody and hip hop and how it's the dominant force and like the main thing that people latch on to with their with their sounds these days. But that case in in Rod Wave also has been doing this too. It's like sometimes you're just actually singing. You know, it's not just like sing rapping, it's like legit singing. But I, I think Moray manages to handle it well. And that's what I think makes Quicksand so great is that it's like really catchy and he still is kind of singing on like on that melody, but there's a hip hop cadence to it. And yeah, it works. But I, I do agree. I mean, this kind of stuff in general for me, like it, it'll uh-huh. definitely blend um, and, and, and sound similar. So unless you're really engaging with the lyrics and he he does talk about, you know, some stuff in terms of like having a daughter and not having a place to stay and like, you know, the, you know, the, the struggle stuff you can imagine. But uh, I think he's at his best when he's kind of molding the two sounds. And for the most part, it doesn't feel like he really goes like, like hard rap on any of this like he really is always sticking to the the heavy melody and the singing but yeah I, I like trenches i like switched up as well yeah i think those are the two standouts for me as well and yeah i, I think your analysis is right a lot of times this the singing rapping can kind of sound samey by it especially if the album is a uh, you know produced i think also in the same way like i don't think any of the beats really stand out as like uh, really catchy or necessarily like really impressive it sounds like it's more so just his overall uh, ability to rap and sing pretty well and for a first time I think there's a lot to like here but I think there's a lot of room for growth as well so Moray on the come up um, and also on the come up is Julia Michaels who uh, established in one sense of her career obviously her ability as a songwriter is un deniable um and she's been writing hits for a while um you know just kind of looking at her like writing credits it's really really impressive and uh if you've somehow managed to escape hearing a julia uh julia michael song to this point i'm very impressed by your ability to just stay away from pop music pretty much in general right um but I think when we reviewed her, or I, I don't know if you did we, yeah, we did talk about uh, part one of the, part yeah, of those two EPs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think we, we were a little underwhelmed, you know, cause we, we know that the talent is there, but her ability to kind of make her own songs was, I think, lacking a little bit. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And like, I think the big thing is like, that was two years ago at this point. Uh, when yeah. like, those first few EPs started to come out and she was attempting to branch out as a solo act, which is obviously a nice thing you want to see a songwriter making their own name more publicly. Obviously this lends to a greater career. That's obvious, but you know, having all those Selena credits and Bieber credits and litany of other mainstream pop figures, you know, since then, since that solo career started, she has kept that up. Uh, she, mm-hmm co-wrote pretty please off future nostalgia she did like half of the demi album that just came out uh that song if the world was ending by jp Sachs was nominated for song of the year at the grammys this year so she's still very much in demand like mainstream songwriter and it's obviously very successful still 
but it was funny for me to like go in like knowing this is like her quote debut album in a certain sense and as a solo act and looking at Spotify and seeing that she has 20 million monthly listeners already and then you think about it, it's like for the most part it's like a lot of features and other mm-hmm. stuff and obviously we know issues from a while back which is a big song billion streams but like I hadn't really noticed that so many of her other songs had made huge impressions. Like the song off the last 50 shades album has 300 million streams. Heaven news yeah. to me. Uh, she she but, does numbers, man. Yeah. And well, that was a thing. Like we think about those solo EPs. It was like, you know, making an identity when you're songwriter first. And even if you're not a bad vocalist, you're not like a, really obvious standout vocalist the way like ariana or demi is you're more of the taylor swift sort of things when it's pen first how do you make that you know make that name as a solo act and Mm -hmm. i was actually impressed with i think this uh debut album because i think she sounds different than she used to and i think she's getting more of an identity um and i think just her her finding an identity was kind of like that central thesis we had listening to that you know inner monologue ep uh, it's just like it just wasn't present then. I feel like she's getting there now. Yeah, I I agree. I think I think she's trying a little bit more, um, uh, trying more things. I should say this album. She's not trying more, but she's definitely experimenting a little bit more. Um, you know, even like probably my favorite run on the album is uh, songs four through six. Little did I know, Orange Magic and Lie Like This. Those are probably my three favorites, mm-hmm. and they all are very different songs. You know. Yeah. Little Did I Know is this like ballad. Orange Magic is this like 80s pop. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like 1989 Taylor almost in a way. And then Lie Like This is a little bit more like modern pop sounding. Like yeah, that I go. Pop. Yeah, dance pop sound. So yeah, I, I do think there's like a uh, definitely a growth, but I also did feel like she was still trying to find whatever that sound is going to be, but I do think it's refining for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so the bouncing of genres definitely stood out to me. And I guess that's more of a negative because, like I said, she has all these, quote, hits, whether it's a feature, whether it's her songwriting or it's her lead vocalist, but they are kind of all over the place. So I think what stood out to me in terms of her finding her place is that her voice, I think, is kind of settling mm. in. She she's ras- She has a raspy voice. Yeah. She's a pop vocalist, and she didn't really have that before. I think it sounds good. Like on, yeah. um, I think the big the big hit of the, any new tracks on this is uh, "All Your Exes," which is a lead single, and I think she like the edge required for the, the, those lyrics. It works with how she how she's performing. So yeah, I think after this, the next step is maybe settling in on one of those sounds and figuring yeah. out what you can do because clearly she can write songs good enough for probably most of that. It's more about how she yeah. can handle it as a performer. Yeah, I almost wonder if her like songwriting for so many people of so many different types of genres almost makes it hard for her to focus in a bit because she's like, well, you know, I was working on this sound with Kygo and I had this idea for a song. She probably just has so many things that she's working on writing that she just has so much inspiration kind of coming in. Um, And, you know, I, I think as I'm like kind of going through this album, I think one of the other things that probably made it hard to find one central like sound to this is i don't know if there's like a, a theme to these songs i mean there's like the general like you know like heartbreak um you know uh, wanting someone back type things 
yeah you know the woman empowerment song but i don't think there's anything like central yet so i think as she just continues to like probably like find inspiration find things that she wants to write about she'll continue to grow i mean we know the talent is there it's just about i think continuing to refine you said that um all your exes was your your favorite standout what other songs did you like or that or stood out to you yeah so i also liked lie like this just because i think it's like you know really catchy that bass line is really nice Mm -hmm. um love is weird merely falling up all your exes was kind of stark to me because that's like a much more stripped down song right after like all your exes like i said is a little more like lyrical edge to it you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think why i like this probably stands out just because that's really easy to revisit but yeah um, yeah I'm, i'm not really big on her ballad stuff right now i just don't think like her performances wow me enough for that type of song because again that's not like my favorite type of pop anyway but uh she's definitely like improved and and changed a lot since those first solo eps which is interesting to see because considering how much she is working you know to actually see like some kind of like really stark change like this for someone who's still like weirdly nascent as a soloist it's it's an interesting career yeah for sure um I mean, how old is she? She like twenty. She's twenty seven now. Twenty seven. Wow. Been working a long time. Yeah, it's a, an amazing career for someone who's only twenty seven. Um, I mean, uh, I think we know she'll probably make better stuff, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. Like I mentioned, I think "Orange Magic" is probably my favorite track off the album. Definitely pops right in the middle. Um, so, uh, give it a spin. You know, I think "Not in Chronological Order" is. Uh, worth your time and getting yeah. familiar with julia michaels is certainly worth your time come to think of it it's also aptly named because it jumps around all genres so you really yeah. can listen in non-chronological order if you wish yeah absolutely um you know dave do you feel like you have to listen to the new the new royal blood album in chronological order typhoons hmm that's a good question uh for the most part, it sounds very similar to me. So maybe maybe that's also a no. I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you need to listen to Typhoons from the back? Hmm. Well, you know, I'm, it's interesting because Royal Blood is a group I've been like, can like, it's been on my peripheries, but and I've heard a couple of tracks, but never really like dug into them too much. Right. You know, I think like Figure It Out is probably the song most people are, are familiar with with them um and i believe that was off their first album which was self-titled yeah Road of blood in 2014 and that's off the second one from 2017 oh, is it i think so sorry yeah how do we get um, so dark oh no you're right you're right yeah 2014 so they, they've been at it a while this is their third yeah. album. yeah um and i and i do respect that they seem to like take time between their albums they're not just putting stuff out all the time they're obviously putting some thought into these typhoons I think is interesting because it definitely sounds samey and they're definitely going for like rock with dance rock, but I just don't know if it totally works all the time. Um, You know, I I guess when I was listening to it, I kind of felt like this was the kind of band you would hear like a festival at like five o'clock from like across the way. You'd be like, Oh, you know, I'm going to like hang out in the back and like vibe to this, but I'm not Mm. necessarily like, Oh, Royal Blood have to be front row at that set, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I I also was thinking about that in a little different lens, just because I think that's just kind of their ceiling. They're 
a duo from England, third album, and they're very much a successful rock band that's below the arena level. These guys can just go play thousand people rooms nationwide and across England every time they have an album cycle and they'll be at every festival. That's what yeah. they do. And it'll be very successful for them. And that's also probably all they ever get to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, though, Typhoons, I, I liked what I heard. I, I just enjoy that they actually have like really strong bass and yeah. uh, maintain a pretty high tempo most of the time. On the other hand, again, it also kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And when it sounds samey by the end, I, I, I feel like I largely tuned out because it's a lot of the same stuff. And not that I was disliking anything. Uh, I did think that uh, one one slow track, all we have, have is now at the end, definitely kind of came out of nowhere. But uh, just because no one really goes like that hard, I guess it's notable for that. Just because like they're like, what peers do they have in terms of this? Because like we're talking about people that go hard these days. It's like the post punk people we've been talking about a lot mm. lately, right? Like uh, like they're from Brighton, England. Uh, we'll be talking about Squid next week, their debut album. Yeah. They're also from Brighton, England. Um, you know, I think like Black Midi and stuff also from over there. Mm. But yeah, I it is it's kind of weird to be like, yeah, this is a band that has completely hit their ceiling. Like I don't know, it's, it's, it feels like a stupid thing to say, but like. <laughs> I just don't know, like, what else? Because, like, they're not making music that, like, lends them to be getting, like, 1975 popular, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I agree. Like, I, I, I'm not sure where they go from here. But I, I also think that that lane isn't necessarily anything to be, like, uh, like knocking them about. Because no. No, it's not I, not. I definitely think that these are really competent songs. Like, uh, Trouble's I Coming. Like I gotta say, Trouble's Coming sounds a lot like the Big Data Joy Wave song, um, Dangerous to Me. Just kind of like that, like, almost like bumping kind of like sound. I don't know, just really. And then his voice also just sounds a lot like that to me. Um, yeah, I guess that Joy Wave sound might really be like a good comparison <laughs> for them. Um, and, and I also thought songs like... Um, I thought Who Needs Friends, I thought Limbo was pretty good. Um, Boilermaker was fun. Like, there's there's some really fun tracks on here. It's just, it's like B-level, it's like Dancy Black Keys, I guess. Like, you really hmm, are just like, sure. That's funny. you know, making them more dance hall-ish or not, not dance hall Yeah, just not that, but. Modern pop. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I guess that, that's the easy comparison, too, with, like, the two-person type set, but. I don't know. It, it's the. It's just okay. Like it really is just like that five o'clock band that you're like, oh, this was a good listen, and maybe I'll mm-hmm. add a song to a playlist. But you're probably never gonna hear someone be like, "Royal Blood is my favorite band of all time." Yeah, that's probably the way I put it. Isn't bad either. Like they're, you need those B level groups. It just feels like rock doesn't have any A level groups. <laughs> no, especially from like new acts. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. But yeah, I mean. On Typhoons, I, I like the bass line, can, pretty consistent. I like the tempo. Uh, I like the singing. It sounds good. Yeah, for sure. Who Needs Friends is probably my favorite. That, like, really, like, distorted guitar and just, like, really heavy thumping bass drum just is awesome. So, um, you know, I think Typhoons is worth the listen, especially if you like rock and you 
want to be listening to some new stuff, just go in with your expectations. They aren't the saviors of rock, which I think is also like we've been talking about. This is an ongoing conversation. These bands that should not be put in the sphere, I think get held up just because everybody wants to have that new, exciting rock band. And, you know, sometimes you're not going to always find it in royal blood. <laughs> but speaking of uh, finding some new, exciting lanes, Shelly, FKA Dram, dropping a uh, new album. First one in what, five years, six years? Uh, 2017, I think was no 2016 was big baby dream yeah shit been a while oh, wow. almost five years i think we had, we had that ep uh where best hugs was on mm-hmm. and that that was like 2018 i think but yeah it's it's been a while uh dram now shelly is going by his you know given name is uh as has been has been out of the public eye a little bit and i, I think mm-hmm. we've we've learned a little bit more about that him going to rehab right before the pandemic uh that seemed to go well for him and he also lost a lot of weight and seems to have changed his attitude about life i think he just seemed like he just was being on the road for two years after his you know big blow up he uh seems to just struggle with that lifestyle and he seems to have left that lifestyle behind and thus has wanted to change his music to something that I think he thinks better represents how he thinks and acts. And it is kind of funny to listen to him interrogate that because, you know, when we talked about Dram way back, it was, you know, cha-cha. And that was a big flash point because of how Drake did and did not, you know, take inspiration from that for Hotline Bling. Oh, so long ago at this point. And then Broccoli with Little Yachty, the first big Yachty feature you know these are bangers and he doesn't actually kind of want to make those bangers he's like i can't say anything negative because of all the success these songs brought me but it's not really who i am Mm -hmm. and he seems to have actually wanted to make r&b like straight up you know like there's no there's no hip-hop on this there's no cash machine like there's no broccoli this this is this is our r&b r&b stuff and like he's made like the croony stuff here and there when he's popped up, especially, you know, I think of like the feature he had on the gorillas album several years ago at this point, mm-hmm. but uh, it's definitely a stark change. And if you're like, you're, you know, him from broccoli, it's probably not going to be that recognizable. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think when Graham really like broke out, people liked him because no one else sounded as upbeat and weird and like embrace that as Duram did you know uh I, I try to you know you think of a song like broccoli and it really stands out because it really is like a one-of-one type song and i think what i found most disappointing about this new album was every song in a lot of ways felt like they just kind of like blended together and nothing really popped to me too much and you know you're getting some some big name features on here you got eric Badu you got uh, early co-signer of his way back yeah you have her um you know on a song with uh Watt, which i actually really liked that one you have summer walker who's uh up and coming r&b artist that we've talked about so you know you have some decent guests and really it all just kind of blended together which i think that smooth r&b and his like really like silky voice uh, really like worked like i think the song sounded good 
It's just it didn't have the highs of his past projects, and it felt a little bit like a letdown. Do you feel the same way? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I was just incredibly bored by it. Mm. And it's not like it's his fault all that much. Like you said, I think he is good at doing this. Sounds he's always sounded good. He's always sound like he has like a really like rich singing voice where it's like queerly like low register but still warm because I think that's just the impression we had of Dram as this Shelly as this you know lovable fun guy and he's like you know like, again like that that EP that came out a few a few years ago that song like Best Hugs it's like huh yeah you you can make like not really hip hop songs at all and it still kind of works but like Best Hugs is upbeat. Like a lot of this stuff, it's like, like, like he cited Usher in some of the press as like, you know, a big formative artist for him in, in terms of his love of R&B. And I'm like, if you say so, because I don't really see the inspiration being taken here. This is just it's just it's just slow. And yeah, like, I don't know maybe if you're if you're really into like those bedroom jams and just, you want to just throw that stuff on for the mood. Like, I guess this is this can do that for you. But it was it was just a, a bit of a letdown for me yeah you know that that usher inspiration is really funny because it's like he took all the parts of confessions that are unmemorable and just really like was like these are my shit and that's kind of what he made and that's not to say <laughs> that the songs are bad but like when you think about confessions you think about yeah or burn or even like confessions part two and those songs really pop but then there's a lot of songs on confessions which still a great album and the songs are still pretty good you know it's a little like not not really my my shit i guess and maybe it is for other people again these songs are competently made and dram sounds really good on them it's just not i think when you compare it to his past stuff which fair or unfair it's going to be it just feels a bit like a letdown i do think the the two songs i liked the most though were the song with her the lay down um which it, just sounds in the middle it has like like the swirling distorted guitars you know kind of going around first doing her thing on the track which i think really adds something and uh i think pulls a lot out of dram on that song um so sound pretty interesting and different and then uh i thought cooking with grease was actually pretty good too i just thought that was like catchier than some of the other tracks um and that bass line is just super groovy um when he gets into his like falsetto uh ish i don't even know if it's true falsetto but it's close um it's pretty impressive so i don't know i guess those are the two tracks to me any that stood out to you yeah i guess i like the one with summer walker it's good chemistry there Mm -hmm. i like the ones you mentioned but yeah this this didn't leave a big impression for me and i think that's just unfortunately for me just because it's been such a long while and it seems like dram's really happy with where he's been after some time away so or where he's at now after some time away so uh i wish i liked it more but hey it's what he wants to be doing that that's cool too so you know it is what it is maybe uh maybe in the future there'll be more of a meshing of the two styles we'll see but um you know dave we should move on to the movie section of the pod and uh at times i was thinking man only there was a little bit of mercy in this movie a little bit of a little bit of remorse maybe uh, but this movie was, tad. was was without remorse none of it uh michael b jordan starring in the uh adaptation of a tom clancy novel without remorse um man 
Oh, uh, I should say directed by Stefano Salima. Yep. Um, director of Sicario Dea Soldado, which uh, was the sequel to Sicario 1, which of course was written by Taylor Sheridan. Taylor Sheridan still wrote Sicario 2 and also wrote one of the passes of the Without Remorse script. So a lot of Sheridan verse synergy there. Uh, and of course, Without Remorse features uh, John John Clark, right? Mm-hmm. John Kelly. John, well, he's John Clark in the books, John Kelly in this movie, which is, you know, the second, probably the second most famous uh, Tom Clancy character after Jack Ryan, of course. And this movie was made by Paramount and sold way back last year to Amazon by Paramount. Like they were selling a bunch of movies last year, as we've talked about before. And I think it made sense for Amazon to buy this movie because, of course, they are already invested in the Tom Clancy and the Jack Ryan uh, IP world with, of course, the Jake Gyllenhaal show, which already has got two seasons out and apparently is one of their most popular shows. So I think it made sense for Without Remorse to be found at home on Amazon. And, of course, uh, Salima as well helped get 000 off the ground for Amazon last year. So made sense all around, I guess. But yeah, without remorse, kind of just shows up finally. Action thriller. Michael B. Everybody loves him. Yeah, and reviews are uh, pretty negative. You gotta say. And uh, I-, I wasn't expecting that. I was like, this is gonna be competently made, and yeah, it'll be dark. But I trust Salima. I I, I like Michael B. I'm down. I wasn't I wasn't expecting to see such negativity around it. To be honest. It- yeah, I mean, I guess it's like looking through some of the criticisms, right? Like um, people are like kind of knocking it for like an outdated sense of like patriotism and like. Um, oh, sure. Like some of like yeah. the forced like franchise type beats to it, I guess. Um, but, you know, I. I think like when you go into a movie like a, a Tom, especially when you know it's based off a Tom Clancy novel, you kind of know what you're getting at this point. Like Tom Clancy has been in the zeitgeist for like 40 years at this point. Yeah. Um, Jack Ryan's been a character that's been played by Harrison Ford when in the 90s and mm-hmm. was pretty well known. Alec Baldwin, uh, Ben <laughs> Affleck's been played a few times. Yeah. And more recently, now John Krasinski. Oh, is it Jill okay. Hall? Oh, no. Fuck. Yeah, it's Krasinski, not Jill yeah. Hall. Why did I say that? Yeah. Oh, and don't forget um, um, Chris Pine, Jack Ryan's yeah. shadow recruit, the failed uh, bit at a movie universe 10 yeah, years now, ago. Now I just want the Jill and Hall Jack Ryan. Like, make, make it weird. Let's go. But, like, <laughs> yeah, you kind of know what you're getting with this, like, you know, special ops, yeah. people, broken aggro. families, you know. Yeah. Which is like, what were people really expecting? I think you get exactly what you think you're going to get from this i think when the action scenes are on this movie kicks ass and i think when it goes to like some of the plot heavy scenes it's a little bit more like eh, okay well sure like um I, I i don't know i guess for me i don't think the emotional beats or a lot of the like mystery around like who was really driving this was really that interesting or really like that well done but man like that scene where he dives underwater to get the supplies off the sinking um, Jet. plane. Awesome. That like final shootout in Russia. Awesome. Like a lot of these scenes are great. So right. I don't know. I, I guess I, li- I like the action. of it. Yeah. I think it really comes down to like what your temperature was for Sicario too, because that is, 
I think a big point of conjecture contention for like people that dislike Taylor Sheridan, like the Taylor Sheridan like sensibilities, right? It's very macho, it's very dark, it's very uncompromising. And to some it, that it's just too much of that and perhaps not as intelligent as it presents itself to be. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand all of that with without remorse because like you said, it, it's a plot that I've seen some people say it's really confusing. I wouldn't say it's confusing. I actually think it's like unsurprising. Like it, it's not actually that uh, like revelatory. And there's like, I guess there are weird beats that like don't fully pay off. Like when Brett Gelman shows up in Russia as like a kind of a weird piece of casting as like an agent on the other side and how him and Michael B, they're both pawns, but on different sides of the board, bro. And it's like, whoa, you know? And yeah. I think the movie, the script wanted you to be more than like, whoa, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> I think what you should be there for is to watch Michael B be an action star, which he is very yeah. good at. You know, he hasn't done all that much, really, apart from like Creed. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's excellent as Creed, but Creed also has like hardcore dramatic beats and, and, and intelligent writing. This is yeah. just really just like, watch Michael B just fuck shit up. And if that's what you want to do, I don't know. I found it entertaining, but yeah, I don't think it's like, 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 you know, super intelligent. Like this is far cry from born identity or anything like that, obviously. Um, and I, I just enjoyed Michael B. I also enjoyed Jamie Bell seeing them reunite post Josh Trank fantastic four. And I thought mm-hmm. probably the best piece of the script to me was that Jamie Bell's, uh, character uh, what was his name renner uh deputy uh, director robert ritter ritter they they make you question ritter's uh yeah allegiances early on i think they do that in, in an effective way um i thought jody turner smith who i liked quite a bit in queen and slim she's a relatively yeah. new actress i thought she was less effective in this just because mm-hmm. she's kind of there to like be a, a like a foil of sorts to john but not really, I guess. Like, yeah. hey, she is, but she isn't, you know, she's right. kind of there. And I think she's almost just there because she's like the other side of the coin after his dead wife is killed. His wife is killed. Pregnant wife is right. killed. Laura London, not the most glamorous part as the female character that is there solely to get killed and motivate the male character. Yeah. Unfortunately, cliche. But yeah, I think he's got to be there for the action. Yeah, it's a. Uh... I, I think the action really is very good. I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned to me, I actually didn't sit through it. I didn't watch the uh, after credit scene, but yeah. they're setting up a Rainbow Six sequel. I, I thought they were going for Ghost Recon, actually, because oh. they're pretty much like, <laughs> you're more value, valuable to us as a ghost. And I'm like, oh, let's fucking do this. Let's just, you know, walk around the shadows. That was the, that game's whole like, right. objective, which was awesome, but... Right, um, so so in the books, John Clark is the uh, founder and commander of Rainbow Six. This. Gotcha. Obviously, now it's a very successful video game franchise. But I'm actually quite curious to see if Amazon is interested in making this Rainbow Six movie. You have to imagine Paramount is no longer invested in this. Like mm-hmm. I said, though, Amazon, they got the Jack Ryan show. You could set up a crossover, make this Tom Clancy shared universe this ryan verse clancy verse whatever it is i don't know why not right like you you have all these other 
books to adapt and you already have cast the two most famous Clancy characters by in-demand actors in Krasinski and Michael B. So if they're both up for it, might as well go for it. Because I think this stuff, yeah, it's Clancy. You kind of know what you expect. But it also lends itself to more, you know, intelligent action, thrilling, thriller stuff, right? Like it's not your your typical blockbuster fare, at least, even if it's a little straightforward down the middle. So yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. And and they should, they already have a built-in audience. Like, you know, like most males, probably like 15 to like 35 at this point are going to watch this if they have Mm -hmm. access to it, which everybody's access to Amazon. So um, may as well, you know, I think just like two puzzling things to me, and I guess it's both just castings. Pullman Domingo just shows up as Pastor West, like one or two scenes. Now that's a point of confusion. I would totally agree with. I don't really know what was up with that. I was just like, I literally did a, like a double take. So I was like, is that Coleman Domingo? Like, he was just in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and, uh, yeah. you know, Euphoria. Um, yeah, Euphoria killing the special with uh, Zendaya. And then Guy Pierce also just taking a thankless role where he gets murked and uh, yeah. Secretary of Defense Thomas Clay. You, you kind of knew he, he was like bad so long before it finally like comes to pass. And it's like, yeah, it it was a little simple. Uh, I, you know, I think to the criticisms like the politics of it all, and like the blind patriotism and stuff. I think that's actually really easy to see because like the movie starts and we're literally in like war torn, bombed out Aleppo, Syria, mm-hmm. watching, you know, black ops agents do whatever they're doing in a war zone. And it's like, huh, yeah, don't know why you need these guys, right? And then later on at the end, when Michael B is just murdering ad nauseum, right? You're like, huh, well. Why are these guys in Russia? You're just killing all these Russian police and military that are totally innocent and don't deserve to just get grisly murdered by Michael B. Huh. Again, don't know if you need to root for these people, but it's compelling yeah. action nonetheless. Yeah, uh, that's the same thing as the games. Like a lot of times it doesn't make sense, uh, but you just kind of go with it. So, yeah. um, Dave, I don't think this movie is going to be nominated for a uh, Oscar at the 2022 Oscars. Do you? I would say no. I would say that's a definitive no. Let's talk about some movies that might be. Uh, It's it's funny to have this conversation, right? Because we pretty much had this conversation about a lot of the movies that we're going to mention today last year. Um, Movies in 2021, as we talked about, just did not come out because of COVID. So everything's getting pushed back. Um, New York City as of May 19th, will be at 100% openness, uh, according to the most recent reports. So with that, it's a pretty good indicator that movies most likely will also be coming out as scheduled. Um, some things still not on the schedule yet, but right. we're expecting to have a really contentious, I think, race this year. There's a lot of movies that are going to be really high quality, vying for a limited number of spots. There's a lot of movies to get to today. I was thinking before we touch on the movies we did talk about, what are some movies, probably some more like blockbuster movies that are going to yeah. get a lot of, of, yeah, I don't know, a lot of attention, but probably won't get Oscar buzz. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And like you said, the theaters have opened up or are about to be completely opened up. And we've seen big box office success, you know, pandemic standards aside, recently from blockbuster fare, like Godzilla vs. Kong. Mortal Kombat, Demon Slayer on the anime side. 
you can expect these blockbusters to come out because I think we have seen that as vaccinations have increased, at least in the U.S. and in places like China where the pandemic is under control. Uh, there is an appetite to go go to the movies, and whether that continues in places like Canada and Europe, where they're in a different state of affairs, we might see really staggered releases. But I think the studios are very invested in putting these movies out, and the theater owners are obviously desperate for these movies to come out. But there's also audience buy-in, which is great because obviously we've been worried about if streaming and you know, the windowing changes would affect audience behavior. At least it hasn't completely yet. So we're going to get all these movies. And, you know, it's May 2021. So we have a little more than half of the year left. But there is a big chunk of big movies that probably won't contend for Oscars. but will certainly contend for eyeballs and, you know, maybe the visual effects Oscars and stuff like that. And I mean, there's just really obvious ones, right? You got four Marvel movies, Black Widow, Eternals, Shang-Chi, and Spider-Man 3. Yep. You have Fast and Furious 9. Yeah. You have Top Gun Maverick. You Thanks, have baby. The Suicide Squad. And you have No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. Not to mention something maybe a little higher-minded, but similar in Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Yep. This is a lot of high-profile, hotly anticipated franchise films. Yep. Really exciting. Very exciting. And... uh I can't wait to watch most of these. <laughs> you know, I think like I'm a little marveled out. I think especially after Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I'm not as excited mm. to watch those, but I certainly understand that there's a lot of buzz around them. You know, I'm even thinking about some of the movies like even like Cruella, right? Mm. High profile. You have um, Emily Blunt, obviously starring mm-hmm. in Close. Emma starring. Stone. Emma Stone. Jeez, I was thinking of A Quiet Place Part 2, which yes, uh, I was also going to bring up in the conversation. Um, Emma Stone, you know, starring in this role, um, probably not going to be nominated for an Oscar, but gonna it's going to make a lot of money. That's going to get a lot of attention. Um, kids are, I think it's going to be, you know, a movie that kids can go to, but also I think adults, especially like our age range, will probably be interested because we grew up with 101 mm. Dalmatians. Yeah. That will um, be on Disney Plus Premier Access as well as theaters like Black Widow. So, you know, money figures aside. But yeah, I think like all the Disney remakes, with the exception of like the Dumbo remake, like people are going to go see it. Yep. Um, I mentioned A Quiet Place Part 2, another movie that's going to obviously uh, probably make a lot of money. <laughs> oh, um, and in the fall, we should mention Halloween Kills, the sequel to the most recent reboot of Halloween. And of course, that was a very successful movie. So you have to imagine people are really excited to see that come October. I'm sure that will do bonkers. Yep, we're going to have Space Jam, um, which I think the temperature on that has gone up since yeah. the trailer. Ready Player oh. One Part 2, by the look yeah. of it. Surprising. Those uh, Clockwork Orange people showing up was such a <laughs> oh my surprise. <laughs> did you mention um, Jungle Cruise? I did not. Like- uh, who knows if that's any good? That's a Probably Disney not. live action film based on a long running uh, theme park ride at Disney World starring The Rock and Emily Blunt. Yep. We have Free Man or is that Free Guy. Uh, Free Guy. Yep. Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. So, you know, there's some there's some fun movies coming out. Um, I think then let's talk about the movies that should have come out already that are coming out or we expect to come out this year and are probably going to be Oscar worthy. 
Uh, where do you want to start with this one? Well, there's a few obvious ones. We can start with one that's coming up very soon. That would be In the Heights, directed by John Chu, of course, the live-action adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's first hit musical starring Anthony Ramos, and that'll be out June 11th and also available to start on HBO Max as a Warner Brothers release. And there seems to be a lot of buzz about In the Heights, which is great. And I th- you have to imagine this movie's going to be a huge hit, the way Hamilton was gobbled up and just how popular you know anything with Lynn is these days. When you said uh, coming out soon, you said June 11th. I was like, that's not that soon. It's very soon. It's like basically <laughs> a month away. Kind of crazy. Um, yeah, no, I think this, I think In the Heights has a good shot to maybe get some, probably not like best picture, but more so some of those down ballot, like uh, costume, set design type um, nominations similar to Does it count as original song if the songs were already like written like years and years ago like this musical is over 10 years old it's not like it's new like yeah I actually don't know how that works <laughs> well I, if we're going to talk about original song we might see Lin-Manuel Miranda quite a bit if it if these do count because he also is uh producing Encanto for Pixar right. um and he's writing the music for that so I assume he'll probably get at least one song uh, nominated for that um, yeah, you know, I wanted to stay in the realm of the musicals, though, because we recently got the trailer for West Side Story from Steven Spielberg, his adaptation of the um, 1961 uh, best musical mm-hmm. to screen adaptation of all time, won 10 uh, Academy yep. Awards. Um, why we needed this, I'm not sure. Why we needed Ansel uh, Elgort, I believe. That is aging know. poorly. <laughs> but Rita Moreno is giving her blessing and is involved so okay um the shot guess, of the ch- the sharks and jets when it's like top down it's like yes give me all the shots in the musicals <laughs> let's go <laughs> i'm like i'm excited for it but i'm also just like we didn't need yeah. this um, i gotta but- say similar to ready player one I wish Steven Spielberg was taking a different tack with his late period career because, you know, he's an older man. He only has so many movies left. You don't need to remake West Side Story, something that was so great. It didn't. Why would you dare remake it? You know, yeah. I, I would rather him do something like how Ridley Scott's been acting of late. We can talk about him in a second. But yeah, I think between West Side Story and In the Heights, I think both movies will be very popular. And I honestly expect both to be contending. For best picture? I think so. I think In the Heights is going to wow. be really well liked, and I think it could be there. The only thing that would go against it is it's coming out early. You know, I think we should remember, too, that nothing that came out before March is even eligible for the upcoming Oscars due to the protracted season that just finally ended for us. So there's only so many movies even out right now that would even be eligible. So In the Heights, in a sense, might be kicking it off, you know, as a con will be kick starting up around then. Film festivals will actually be returning. So, you know. Maybe maybe it's coming out too early, but I think both will have a really good shot. I gotta say, if both of those are contending, this race is gonna be really tight because we're about to hit on some movies we haven't talked about that I think there's a good chance for a lot of these to at least be in in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just sticking with the ones we talked about last year, I think French Dispatch was one we were all really excited for. Obviously, the Wes Anderson uh, follow up. Uh, I guess not follow up, but next film after Isle of Dogs. First live action movie since Grand Budapest. Been a minute. Has that stacked 
Wes Anderson cast as you'd expect. Yeah. Now this is a uh, searchlight now under Disney's purview. We don't have a release date yet. I have to imagine they'll be putting this out in the theaters in the fall. And eventually it would wind up on Hulu, but no date yet. But they're going to put it out because this movie's been been in the can for almost two years at this point. Yep. You mentioned Dune. I mean, that movie is pretty much doing everything it can to get award buzz. You know, I think this is trying to be like the tenet of the race for this year, where it's just going to look awesome. It's going to have great visual effects, going to have a stacked cast. We'll see if it hits with critics. You seem not so sure, it seems. Well, just because Blade Runner 2049, Denny's last effort, also an IP adaptation, didn't get as many awards plaudits as maybe people thought it should. Uh, obviously, Deacons won for cinematography, which was no small feat, but I think WB and Denny and friends would really like Dune to have a big awards run. I think it should because it's a different type of movie, but it's still high-minded, assuming it's good, of course. So I uh, definitely rooting for it. That one comes out October 1st. So are there any others that we haven't mentioned that we talked about last year, like big ones that might be contending? In terms of big movies, I think those are like quote, all the big ones. Um, last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's film comes out at the end yeah. of October. Ani Taylor Joy's in that. Don't know too much about that, but you know, it's Edgar Wright, so people are excited about it. That was supposed to come out in 2020. Um, in terms of other movies that are supposed to come out in 2020, uh, you have the Aretha Franklin biopic, Respect starring Jennifer Hudson, who, of course, is an Oscar winner. Uh, that comes out uh, towards the end of the year. Obviously, the Elvis biopic, too. I don't point, think probably. that's dated for this year. They pushed that back. Yeah, oh, there has really? been some stuff delayed. Uh, yeah, that's the Baz Luhrmann movie with um, uh, Austin, Austin Butler. Butler, Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah I believe that, that pushed out. Um, this movie we talked about last time was King Richard, the uh, Will Smith mm-hmm biopic as richard williams the father of venus and serena big willie hasn't made a serious awards run in several years so people might be excited about if it's a really good performance to get will smith back into that sort of thing so definitely keep an eye on that that one's coming out around thanksgiving so we've got a long way to go there um i mean there's other stuff that we knew about like small stuff like the green knight the a24 movie with dev patel coming out in july um I mean, yeah, there's, there's tons of little notes, but I mean, I, I think a lot of the, I think, more exciting Oscar hopefuls were actually movies that we didn't really have dated for 2020 when everything went to shit. Um, and I, I think that, that that's what the big takeaway is, right? You have all these holdover movies from 2020, a big slate of blockbusters, and then a lot of other movies that weren't actually 2020 holdovers, but are made by like top tier directors. Like there are tons of best director winners and best director nominated directors with movies coming out this year like it's going to be a bloodbath it's it's going to be absolutely insane you know i'm trying to think about like the movies that we probably expect to be coming out next because a lot of these still don't have dates officially attached but you know we are excited about them and a movie that comes to mind that i expect to be seeing somewhat soon is no sudden move from soderbergh um you know there isn't a set date but you have to imagine especially because they also have the other Soderbergh film Kimmy I think it's called um yeah he stopped filming or he finished filming No Sudden Move back in November and we know how fast so it's ready yeah I'm sure that's completely locked in already and that cast is super exciting that'll be on HBO Max so it's Steven Soderbergh so people pay attention 
Yeah, we we talked a little bit about our excitement for that when we reviewed the uh, last Soderbergh movie. I'm blanking on the name. But let them all talk. Yes, let them all talk. Um, so that that one stands out to me as one that we might be seeing soon. Um, you know, in terms of like other really big uh, directors, I mean Guillermo del Toro with yeah. Nightmare Nightmare Alley coming out uh, December third. Um, I mean his first film that he's directing since the shape of water yeah when he won best director yeah um did pretty well there got bradley cooper kate blanchett this this cast is absolutely stacked but like tony collette willem dafoe mara it's not there and you have to think i mean this is a based off a 1946 movie with uh del toro's uh style and just ability to direct that this is going to be a really interesting movie to watch and we're going to be seeing a lot of bradley cooper um you know and i noticed a lot of actors repeating in terms of like seeing them in these big movies so i think potential for multiple nominations in a couple of different movies um you know you mentioned uh all those directors how about your guy paul thomas anderson he's got a movie coming out this year soggy bottom yeah, not sure if that's the final title, but Soggy Bottom, the next PTA movie, with also a Bradley Cooper, dated for Christmas Eve right now. Uh, again, it's PTA. People will be paying attention. Case closed. Yeah, um, but that that movie I can't wait for. <laughs> um, which other ones are are you thinking? Or I mean, Ridley Scott. Yeah, so R- Ridley Scott. Uh, well into his 80s at this point and this guy does not know how to stop working and you have to respect that uh he has the last duel which we had known about a little bit longer which is the ben affleck matt damon adam driver jody comer movie that also is written by nicole holof center sign me up for that that comes out in october and then you know about six weeks later around thanksgiving you have house of gucci coming out which uh I believe is still filming right now, but it's probably almost done. And that, of course, stars Adam Driver and Lady Gaga about the assassination of Gucci, uh, the founder of, you know, Gucci, the fashion brand. And, you know, Ridley is not prone, is certainly prone to having a dud, you know, here and there. So there's no guarantee that both these movies are good. But when you have this kind of cast signed up and, you know, people be paying attention, they're coming out in the fall. So definitely exciting. You know, and you mentioned people that keep working as they get older. Your guy, Clint Eastwood, also <laughs> has a movie coming out that he's not only directing, but starring in. Um, the dude is 90 and he's making Cry Macho, yes. where he's playing this like rodeo star who friends a boy. And I guess he has to, like basically like take care of the boy or like save him from his situation with his mother. It sounds like the type of movie that is some perfect Oscar bait. Um, you have to imagine Clint getting up there in age. People are going to want to probably reward it if it's mm. if it's good. So I think exactly. it could make a strong push. Yeah, his movies actually haven't been super well recognized at the Oscars the past few years, like The Mule, Richard Jewell, you know, like close, but no cigar for those. But yeah, um, Clint keeps trying. He, he works as fast as he can, seemingly. Um, one take Clint, as they say. Um, <laughs> Also, so we have older older figures. We have Paul Schrader's next movie, The Card Counter. Obviously, mm-hmm. First Reform got some love. Uh, 20, 2018, Card Counter stars Oscar Isaac. Also has William Willem Dafoe in it. I believe this has already completely been filmed. 
another exciting one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's also like a, a ton of Netflix movies that don't have dates yet, but we know they're coming. A few of those we mentioned last time. Andrew Dominic's Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe, Monroe biopic starring on the Armis. Uh, you know, I think that was easy to understand why that's attractive. Andrew Dominic does not make a whole lot of movies apart from some work on My Hunter season two. We haven't seen him uh, in several years. So that's cool. We also have uh, Don't Look Up, which is a newer Netflix movie. That's the Adam McKay one with crazy cast, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, Chalamet, and many others. We have another movie we knew about before, The Tragedy of Macbeth, Joel Cohen, mm-hmm. starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, NBD. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, smaller movies, like you have Hand of God or Palo Sorrentino's next movie. That'll be on Netflix. Uh, yeah. Tick, it... Tick, Boom, Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut. Yep. Um, passing the Sundance hit that they acquired, Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, starring uh, Ruth Negga and Tessa Thompson. Uh, Netflix, you know, they are a major uh, figure in the award season at this point. We've really seen it the past few years. They don't have a best picture yet. But again, they'll be putting a, another strong foot forward to try and finally uh, break through. That that seems pretty obvious. For sure. Um, you know, out of these Netflix ones, because it is a little bit of like a, you know, dog eat dog type thing, I imagine, where. Uh, I think especially as movie theaters are opening up, I know a lot of movies are going to be released simultaneously in this next year, hopefully exclusively for this year. But I have to imagine that some of the voters will be giving a little bit of a edge to movies that maybe help the box office or um, you know help drive up the stature of movies right now. I couldn't. I, I really can't see too many streaming services getting the call if, if some of these other movies that are put out in theaters are just up to the quality. You know, like I think of something like uh, the the new Denzel movie, A Journal of Jordan, where yeah. Michael B. Jordan is starring in this, um, and it's based on a novel of the same name, coming out early December the tenth. I believe that's a Sony movie. Seems like this is you know, kind of being set up to be something that could really rival something like Tick, Tick, Boom, which is also like autobiographical. And I, I think if, if it comes down to one of those two, I think voters would probably much rather go for a movie that's released in theaters initially and not mm-hmm. one that's put out on streaming. I, I can see that becoming I don't know, a conversation around the yeah, awards. You know, that's an interesting thought because on the other hand, Netflix employs so many people the majority True. of the academy, working academy anyways, probably work for Netflix at some this point. That's a good point. So it's tough. I, it, I think it's really hard to know how much Netflix bias there still is. Because again, they've been getting tons and tons of nominations the past few years. But yeah, um, this year does present its own challenges with uh, the desire to save uh, the theatrical movie going business and mm-hmm. thus keep everyone working the way they'd like to be. Um, so yeah tough to really know until we fast forward a year i guess yeah you know just kind of looking are there any other movies you want to shout out i think i had two that kind of stood out as some of those like lower maybe not lower but like those uh, smaller movies that could really stand out like a nomad land so to speak Mm. one that really stood out to me is a movie called coda which was yeah. purchased by Apple Plus out of Sundance for $25 million. Set a record. Um, 
it stars August, uh, I believe. Stars a uh, actress named Amelia Jones. Seems like this is one of her like really first big roles. She plays a you know, teenager who is the only person in her family who can hear. She is very musical, and it's kind of about her journey as she starts to like love music and kind of grow in that world. And that feels like something that, you know, obviously if it's coming out of Sundance and being purchased for the most money, probably uh, Apple has a lot of stock in it, but they're also dropping it in early August. So I could see that having a like never, rarely, sometimes, always type arc where when it comes out, we're like, this looks like it could be Oscar nominated. And then when it comes time, it just loses steam for the run. That one's on my radar for sure. Oh, well, along those lines, we should consider everything A24 has coming out this year. Uh, Data for the end of June, we have Zola, which was a big hit at Sundance 2020, starring Taylor Page. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be really great. Looking forward to that. There's also another a bunch of other A24 movies that we knew about last year and just don't have dates yet, but we know they're finished. That would be Mike Mills' Come On, Come On, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Koganada's After Yang with Haley Richardson, the Souvenir Part 2 from Joanna Hogg. Souvenir Part mm-hmm. 1. The Souvenir was a, a kind of a sleeper uh, indie hit. I really like that one. Um, and I think you mentioned Coda. That's clearly Apple's, you yeah. know, throw of the dart there. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, a, I think then you get to the point where, oh, um, that's right. We You, you mentioned this one last year too. Uh, another movie that we know is finished. That would be... Um, Next Goal Wins, the Taika Waititi movie with Michael Fassbender, the soccer film. Um, Fassbender season, baby. Yeah, but you have to imagine that's going to come out this year. Um, I I can't see anything that's been filmed being held this year. I think a lot of the stuff that's filming now, maybe that gets held due to the, you know, just the bulk on the calendar, like like Bullet Train, David Leach's Mm -hmm. movie starring Brad Pitt, action thriller. They're filming that now. I doubt they try and force that in to this year's season. Uh, also, you have Canterbury Glass, the newly titled David O. Russell film that has a very stacked cast. As far as we know, that's still filming. So again, I don't know if they're going to rush to put these movies out during this season. Um, one other I, one that stood out as possibility is uh, the new Michael Showalter movie, um, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, looking at yeah. the uh, uh, televangelist Tammy Faye Baker and uh, Jim Baker. Um, yeah, you got right down. Jessica Chastain, Andrew Garfield again. Garfield season this this year. Um, yeah, I, I think that one could have a, a chance. Probably going to be at Toronto Film Fest, uh, mm-hmm. you know, release um, late September. So it's kind of around that award season time. Uh, should also note that Robert Eggers has another movie coming out uh, after The Witch and The Lighthouse. He once again has Anya Taylor-Joy in the fold. This is called The Northman, which is set in 10th century Iceland, which stars Alexander Skarsgård as a Nordic prince who seeks revenge after his father is murdered. Also has Willem Dafoe back, like from The Lighthouse. It's Robert Eggers. He definitely has a unique uh, style to him. And obviously anything with Anya Taylor-Joy, I feel like is required viewing these days. So yeah. Another movie that I believe it's been filmed because she Ani was filming this back when she was doing Queen's Gambit Press, so I, I'm pretty sure this movie's done at this point. Um, no date yet, though. Two more films I just wanted to shout out, and then maybe we'll make a few predictions, if we will. Um, the Summer of Love 
the Questlove documentary. Yeah. Um, got a lot of buzz at Sundance this year. Won the uh, Sundance Grand Jury Prize, the Audience Award for Documentary. Probably, obviously not a Best Picture runner, but one that you're going to be hearing a lot about. And it sounds super interesting, chronicling Black Woodstock, the uh, Harlem Culture Festival of 1989, so or 1969, sorry. Um, and then there's, a, is there a chance, Killer of the Flower Moon, late entry into the race maybe like that january february drop and then we're just like man scorsese just fucking wrecked this race just destroyed it so like they like just started filming killers of the flower moon so mm-hmm. I, I i i don't think they would force this one in yeah maybe you know i i, I don't know though i i'd say probably not again i i don't think there, so either but um, yeah that's exciting though right and there's there's tons of other movies um but i mean we've just named so many people that are Oscar winners and Oscar um, nominated people like this. It's going to be tough. And I think it'll actually make for a really fun award season, assuming award season gets to return to like its normal ways where it's much more buzzy. and People are actually seeing the movies, which is kind of the whole point of everything. So. Uh, Dave, it, give me like exciting. Give me like three movies that you feel really strongly will be best picture nominated. Yeah. 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 French Dispatch. West Side Story, take those to the bank, both of them. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Hmm. It's hard to say. I'm really confident in, in the heights, but I wouldn't lock it in. I'm confident in respect. I'm confident in King Richard. Mm. Let's put House of Gucci in there, third lock. That's a, that's that's a call, man, because House of Gucci feels like the, the biggest boomer bust one. I like it, though. Driver um, baby. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to pick three different ones from you. I think whatever PTAs ends up being named will be in there. Uh, yep. We'll call it Soggy Bottom for now. I think the card counter, I think that Paul Schrader is, is going to be like anointed after this movie. And uh, Oscar Isaac is just going to stock going to rise. And, you know, in looking through the rest, I think this movie passing. The yes. Rebecca Hall movie. It, with, if you're picking uh, a Netflix movie, I think that's the best pick. I think Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega. I think that that's going to be the one that comes out, and people are like, "Huh, okay, like we get, we gotta check it out now." So yeah. that, that's something for Netflix is going to get picked. So it's smart to pick one of them at least. So mm-hmm. I agree. If you had to pick one of the movies we mentioned that you think is just going to totally disappoint or fall flat, any that stand out to you? Ah, oh, man, that's hard. That's um, hard. I just get this feeling that like I wouldn't be shocked if Nightmare Alley doesn't do as much as it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Still Toro, you know, so he's kind of goes to the beat of his own drum a little bit. It's got a stellar cast though. Hard to pick against it. Yeah, you know, I'm I, I that one stood out to me as well. Uh and you know, I think maybe it's because like I I really don't know much about it. Maybe if I did a little more reading, I'd feel good about it. Um but I guess as I'm looking I think respect while i think the songs are going to be good i think it could be kind of like the billy holiday of uh, the awards yeah. season where really strong performance but just doesn't really land although there's a lot of good people attached to it so um you know i hope it doesn't turn out that way but that would be my my call anyways drop us your predictions drop us the movies you're most excited for what did we miss uh what are your locks for the next year's award season and, and stay tuned with us by 
subscribing on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod, and on Twitter at nostalgiapod. Dave, what do we got for next week? Yeah, so we got debut album from Squid, the British post-punk rock group, very uh, moving in the same circles as bands we've already discussed, like Black Country New Road and Black Midi, very exciting over in England. Also had the debut album from All Black, probably the most celebrated new rapper out of the Bay Area. You know, I think obviously after E40, after Too Short, who's who, who do people really ride for these days? I think that's All Black. We'll be talking about him. That's fun. Uh, NCT Dream, K-pop, dropping their debut subunit album on Monday. So we got that. And, oh, got that TDE tease this Friday. Top Dog Entertainment dropping an album. It's probably Isaiah Rashad. We're not sure. It could be nothing. It could be SZA. It's not Kendrick Lamar. Don't say that. But it's probably something. And if so, we'll talk about that. And then there, there is a movie we we have to discuss. And I think this is this is just a, a what the fuck movie, from what I understand. <laughs> it's called Mainstream, starring Andrew Garfield from yes. Gia Coppola of the Coppola family. Let's do and it, apparent- man. Apparently, it's it's oh, she's the granddaughter of Francis Ford Coppola. So, yeah, we got some stuff. No problem. We'll be talking about it all. We'll see you next week. Yeah.